in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And we wanted to take a look back at the year what was 2013 and some of the big tech news stories. And it turns out there are quite a few, so we're going to divide this up into a couple of episodes. And before we get started, I wanted to get, do just a little bit of uh, explanation of how some of this is going to play out. In the past, we have often kind of commented on the stories as they happen throughout the year. And that's generally what we're going to do today. But for any story that continued to develop throughout the year, we're just going to tell as much of that story as we can when it first started happening, more or less, because we find that that's a lot easier to follow than to say, this happened in January. Then we do stories for February and March and then April. Hey, you remember that thing that happened in January? Well, here's where this happened. All right. Uh, yeah, there's a couple places where we either um, are, are waiting until a larger event in the chain happens right. to, to break it during yeah. our timeline or... Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in some cases, we'll be talking about the biggest part of the story, and we may say, oh, early in the year this happened. But we wanted to do it in such a way where you could get kind of the encapsulated version of that news story all at once, as opposed to spread out throughout the whole year. So any um, alien historians listening to this for, like, extreme accuracy purposes, just, you know, s- slow down yeah. and take it all in. Also, welcome to the Gregorian calendar. Yeah. yeah. That's exciting. So let's start, uh, I suggest, starting with January 2013. An excellent month of the Gregorian ca- calendar yeah. to start with. Yes. Okay. So uh, the first thing that I have written down, we, we kind of, uh, we didn't go day by day for the year, but we kind of lumped them together in stuff that happened in various months. The first story I wanted to mention was that uh, that was when Kim.com did a little press event where he unveiled his plan uh, of the Mega website. And, you know, Kim.com, of course, was one of the founders of Mega Upload. And a year earlier, back in 2012, had his home raided by various law enforcement officials. And so this was on the anniversary of that big raid. He unveiled this new service called Mega, which is a file hosting service that also includes encryption so that um, you can share files. You can You can upload a file and share it with people. And you can encrypt it so that anyone you don't want to share it with doesn't know what the heck you're messing with. So it's kind of a workaround on some of the issues that Mega Upload had where, you know, anyone who owned copyrighted material and saw it up on Mega Upload would say, hey, you got to take that down. That belongs to me. This way they can all they can say is there's stuff up there that may or may not belong to me, but I can't tell because it's all encrypted. Yeah, this is part of a kind of larger theme of 2013 of A, encryption, and B, uh, file sharing kind of issues. Yeah, so. turns out that that's something that I doubt is going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, when we next have a story that is kind of one of the tragedies of, of 2013. This one is so close to your heart. Um, <laughs> this was a, a research in motion or a rim renaming itself BlackBerry and, uh, and launching the BlackBerry 10 OS. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and then kind of not really going anywhere after yeah, that. There were, if you remember back in 2012, there were a lot of analysts saying that BlackBerry 10 OS was going to be the make or break product for BlackBerry. That, it was only if that 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 new overhaul of the smartphone operating system that would be what would end up either saving the company or it wouldn't be enough. And uh, while BlackBerry is still around, 
it certainly had a really rough year in 2013. They went so far as to say they were entertaining offers for people to come up and buy the company. However, uh, just recently, relatively recently, as of the recording of this podcast, CEO John Chen sent out a letter to customers, enterprise customers, meaning giant companies, saying that BlackBerry was no longer looking for a buyer. They were going to to go this alone. They were going to continue to cater to their enterprise customers, uh, but they were not going to try and sell off the company. Um, however, they are uh, basically any investors are being um, it, it's being recommended that investors sell off their BlackBerry stock. Yeah. Just things are not looking in the business industry like this yeah. is going to go. Yeah. When Citigroup said they're changing BlackBerry to sell that was that was not a good news item for BlackBerry. So it continues to be a really rough year. Uh, oh, hey, you know what? Have you ever wanted to be in pictures? <laughs> I I am in pictures sometimes. Yeah. Have you? Ever, what about moving pictures? I'm I'm in those. Yeah. Yeah. Occasionally. Yeah. I, I like I like being in them. Uh, I really like them when they are six seconds long. <laughs> well, hey, there's an app for that. What? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Twitter had purchased this this little company called Vine in 2012 and in January of 2013 unveiled the iOS Vine app. Yep. And this was what let all those would be iPhone movie makers out there use their phones to create six second long looping videos, which some people did. And it was just kind of like ridiculous stuff that hardly anyone outside of a, a small group of friends would have ever taken notice of. Other people were using it as an actual means of artistic expression and using it in a very kind of creative way. But, uh, I mean, it's challenging, right? It's just like, in a way, when you talk about the different types of fiction mm-hmm. and how the shorter you get, the harder it is to write. So, for example, a good novel is hard to write. A good novella is harder to write. A good short story is really hard to write because as you're restricting yourself... Every single word counts even more than it would in a longer form. So you've got a six-second movie. you got to find a way of saying what you want to say in six seconds that really has an impact. And there's some people who are really good at it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's also a terrific medium for, for just MAME kind of stuff that, yeah. um, that's that's short and easy. And I, I saw some really cute ones this year. Yeah, I, I saw some great ones as well. But, you know, I, I don't really feel comfortable Limiting myself to six seconds. I need a little more than twice that amount. Is there anything out there for me? Uh, well, in June, actually, Facebook kind of caught up uh, when they announced Instagram video. Right. That would allow you to do 15 seconds of video. And see, they, a lot of people were saying, you know, Facebook is playing hardball here by not allowing Vine to live on Facebook and instead you having this competing product that could live on Facebook. Meanwhile, Vine, of course, is doing quite well on Twitter. So you've got these two giant social media goliaths that are kind of, you know, trying to to push the other one out of the picture. As it turns out, I mean, I don't I don't know what the figures are because I didn't look them up. All I know is what my direct experience has been. I've seen and and maybe it's because I'm not a big Instagram person. That's probably the main reason. But I've seen way more Vine videos than I've seen Instagram videos. I know more people personally making Instagram videos than I do personally making Vine videos. But Uh, overall, I have seen more propagation of Vine. Interesting. So, you know, this obviously is all anecdotal. uh, So it could very well be that, you know... And those, I mean, either those, way, one of us is is, huh. is on the money here. Well, those and, and those are those are trends of two, you know, thirty somethings who work in the tech sector, and yeah. and so you know, this That's is all true. 
grain of salt. Yep. But so what about, you know, sticking with Facebook? They also in January launched something that kind of had a lot of buzz around it at the time that was a, an interesting idea. It was called graph search. And this would let you use Facebook as a search engine to look for really weird stuff. Like the examples they gave were always odd. So uh, an example I said was, I want to know uh, what kind of music people who really enjoy planetariums happen to like. And I could do a search on that. And Facebook has, of course, all that information of what people have liked and, you know, and anything they've listed. And it's just a cross link. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then they would come back with, well, people who said they liked planetariums also said they really like, you know, I don't know, uh, Man or Astro Man, which would make total sense. <laughs> that that would be an example. But it's this kind of a deep graph search where it's a social search kind of thing. Um, I've only played with it a little bit. And it doesn't seem to work that well for me, but it may just be that I'm using it wrong and that I'm too old. Uh, I haven't I haven't experimented with it very much, but um, but I think that since the trends of overall Facebook getting older, uh, probably indicates that it's not that you're too old. It's just that it's not as functional as they had perhaps hoped it might be. That's very kind of you to say. I'd like to think that it's their fault, not mine. Uh, also in January, Canonical announced that they would bring Ubuntu, the Linux distro. You know, it's a, a, a distribution of the Linux operating system. They'd bring it to the mobile platforms. They would create a smartphone version of Ubuntu in the near future. Uh, that story would play out over 2013, and it was not a particularly successful story either. In July, they uh, announced a crowdfunding campaign to try and raise money on, uh, I think it was Indiegogo, for what they were calling the Ubuntu Edge, which would have been the first smartphone to feature this operating system. However, uh, they uh, they hit a little bit of a roadblock. Uh, yeah, they had a thirty-two million dollar goal, and they only made nineteen of that. Uh, actually, or, or, they, or they they fell short by nineteen. So. Yeah, nineteen million dollars. I thought I felt badly that my Kickstarter campaign didn't fund, but um, I got more than halfway to where I needed to be, and they didn't quite make that. So oh, well, but that's still. I mean, they they still made. I mean, I'm having a lot of trouble subtracting right now for some reason. <laughs> um, but uh, but I mean, but that's still you know what like like eleven million dollars that they raised. I'm just saying that's not terrible. Yeah, no, it's they didn't they weren't hurting for cash, <laughs> but they didn't have enough to go through with 13. what they planned. Yeah, God, sub- subtraction is so hard. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we only like to add on tech stuff. We hate taking stuff away. Uh, the, the Ubuntu Edge would have been $830 to buy outright if it had come into existence. Uh, now, since then, back in December of 2013, Canonical announced that some other, as yet, uh, of, as of the recording of this podcast, and I should say, we're recording this on December 12th, 2013. Right. So, so and anything that we, uh, get terribly weird about 2013. Yeah, uh, especially toward the end. That's, that's why. one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. We're also terribly weird people, so that well. also plays into part of it. But anyway, Canonical has said that some unnamed manufacturer would be producing the first Ubuntu smartphone sometime in 2014. And it may very well be that by the time this podcast goes live, we will know who that manufacturer is. But as of the recording, we do not. Uh, and then we have a very sad story to round out January of 2013, which was on January 11th, 2013. 
Aaron Swartz committed suicide. Uh, Swartz was one of the people who worked on really simple syndication RSS. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he, he was he was a hacker and an activist. He yep. was he was a deep member of of all of these communities that were based around the building of the World Wide Web. Yeah, he was uh, very much involved in the development of Reddit. He was very uh, active with Creative Commons. And he was a proponent of the idea that information wants to be free and, in fact, had been charged with breaking and entering by MIT campus police uh, when he was using a, a, a unauthorized. He was using a computer to download massive amounts of documents from JSTOR, uh, which is, you know, uh, you know, it's a it's a uh, academic um, database of papers mm-hmm. and uh, presumably with the intent of distributing them freely because information wants to be free. Uh, he, you know, MIT eventually decided not to pursue charges, but the federal government did not have that same point of view. They actually went after Swartz on, on multiple charges under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Uh, Swartz's lawyers offered to have a plea bargain but the prosecutors uh, refused the plea bargain. Uh, yeah, they they were being really. I mean, and, and the the sentence that they were putting out there was thirty five years in prison and about a million dollars in fines. Yeah, and there were other you know things tacked onto there. This actually prompted a big discussion in the tech world about uh, whether or not the federal government was trying to use Swartz as an example to try and frighten other people by going after Swartz with such gusto and refusing to do any sort of plea bargain. And um, two days after the denial of the plea bargain came through, that's when Swartz committed suicide. And it was this is a very complicated issue. You can't just point a finger and say because of this, this other thing happened. Oh, sure. I, I mean, it, it didn't stop people from trying. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if, if you'd like to learn more about Swartz and um, and all of this this hubbub leading up to this tragic event in particular, um, we did a memorial episode on February sixth. That was during kind of my learning curve of the show, I will warn you guys. Right, so. yeah. So there are several of the stories we'll talk about kind of relate back to uh, some of the episodes we've done. I mean, obviously, whenever anything really big happens, we like to try and at least give some context to it on tech stuff. So definitely check that one out. But now we're ready to move on to February uh, which uh, 28 days as a rule are plenty. Uh, yeah, um, February in this case um, had had the beginning of kind of the saga that Intel went through during yeah. the course of 2013. Yeah, here's another one. Like, you know, BlackBerry had its own saga. Intel's had one, although Intel's is, uh, is definitely different from BlackBerry's. BlackBerry's a company that people are always kind of predicting that this year will be the end of BlackBerry type thing. No one's predicting that for Intel, but they oh, did have a not. tough year. Yeah, um, they they had announced in February at the All Things D conference that they were going to be launching an Internet TV service by the end of the year. Yep. And in July, they had announced that the name of the service was going to be on cue. I didn't realize how quickly the story had developed. I mean, I didn't realize it was only July when they named it. And now... Uh, actually, a month ago, back in November, they started looking to offload it. Yeah, they're looking to try and sell it off to someone for around five hundred million dollars. And you might say, well, why would a company in the very beginning of the year say they're really going to push to get into this world, this Internet television world that no one has yet really cracked? You know, you've got a lot of big companies that are all vying for this, including Apple and Google. Why would they say they really want to do it? 
and then they kind of bailed on it. And, well, here's where the story gets a little more complicated. It's because the people who were in charge at the end of the year were not the same people who were in charge at the beginning of the year. Yes. Uh, CEO Paul... Uh, Odellini. Odellini. Yeah. Thank you. I always... I can never say that. And, yeah, well, good luck on the next one. He, yeah, he stepped down and was replaced by Brian Krizanich. I'm going to say good. it's Krizanich, even though someone's going to tell me that that's an inappropriate pronunciation, but... That's what I'm going with. But yeah, it was, um, it was, it was a move where I, I'm of two minds of this. You know, I, I like seeing companies promote from within. I, I think that that's a, a valuable thing to do. But there were a lot of analysts who said that the problem Intel faces is not that, you know, they are, uh, abusing their, their talent. It's that they have kind of adhered to a similar strategy for so long that what's really needed is some new blood to stir things up. And they're looked at as being a little bit old and stodgy in terms of management principles. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, and Kurzanich is uh, someone who has been with the company for more than two decades. So when he stepped up as CEO, some analysts were saying, well, this is a sign that Intel's not ready to move forward. Uh, and and some have argued that the on cue story, where now they're trying to sell off on cue, is is uh, evidence of that. Right. So uh, that's where they are right now. Um, something else happened in February. We got our first look at one of the next generation consoles. Now yeah. current generation consoles. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sony got the jump on Microsoft. There, they announced the PlayStation Four at uh, their own personal event in New York. Yeah, it was invitation only, and I didn't get an invite, so I had Me to neither. just follow along with all the live blogging. But yeah, um, they showed off the the system. They really stressed that the system was for gamers. And that's going to be important later on in the year when we move on to the other big console. Uh, they talked about how the PlayStation 4 would allow you to not only play games, but share your experience. You know, you could stream stuff on things like Twitch TV. I think it was Twitch TV. And then they could all, you could also, uh, at least at some point, be able to hand over control of your game to someone else. So if you just can't get past can't that get, third level... Uh-huh. If you just can't get that boss fight, you can just pass I'll it over to somebody else. calling Lauren up in the middle of the night. Lauren, I need you to get past this guy for me. He keeps hitting me on the head with a fish. And then she would fix it for me, and then I could continue to play. Uh, and so... And you would um, owe me so many coffees the next day. <laughs> You'd be awake at three in the morning <laughs> if it were if I had said ten in the morning. <laughs> oh snap! Little inside look there, guys. That's just me. Anyway, so Sony would go on to E3 and uh, and after some pretty fierce uh, competition between Sony and Microsoft, I would say that most journalists by the end of E3 were at least. Some might say prematurely calling Sony the winner. Yeah, or like, I mean, the PS4, could, yeah, the winner. Exactly. Over the, the PS4, Xbox One, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, and, and it did, it did pretty well on its release. Although, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to compare to the Xbox One, as we'll talk about a little bit later, mm-hmm. because Microsoft isn't really releasing numbers. But, um, but Sony has said that they sold a hundred, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, one million units, um, within 24, within 24 hours. hours. And they were only selling the console in two nations right. at that time. So yeah, good job for them. Uh, next we have one of the sponsors of our show occasionally, Netflix. Right. They introduced their original series, House of Cards. That was the first original series that they had come out with. Yeah. Yeah. They, and, and of course the way Netflix does it is different from the way you would watch a show on TV. You know, on a, on television, you get it week after week. So you get one episode per week and then you have to wait a week to see the next one. 
Netflix said, okay, we've produced this series and we're going to serve up the entire season at once. Go. So, yeah. so you can, you can already mainline it. Just yeah. go for it. You can just set aside a weekend and just watch Kevin Spacey be progressively Fabulous. more and more nasty. I've watched some of this and he is amazingly amoral in this, in this show. I, I haven't caught it yet, but, um, but, but it's they did, great. they did release also following that, um, the, uh, next season of Arrested Development. Oh, and, which is also great. And also the first season of Orange is a New Black. Which I um, have not seen. Oh, it's so good. Um, uh, and yeah, it, there, there was overall a, a trend in 2013 of more companies doing more original series on streaming video on demand. Yeah. Hulu had already launched a couple of scripted series in 2012 and they continued to do that in 2013. And, uh, Amazon Prime, same thing. They had produced a couple and they were working on more. So you can see, uh, shows on all three of those services. And those aren't the only three, but those are the three those big ones. Those are the ones. three big ones, yeah. Um, if you want to learn more about that, you can see our episodes about streaming video on demand, um, uh, primarily videos in the stream, which came out September 23rd. There you go. So before we get on to the uh, next half of the first half of 2013, I think, I think it'd be the Q2 quarter. is really what you would say there. Q2. Yeah. Okay, before we go on to Q2, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. All right, let's march on with March of 2013. And Lauren judges me. Some things, by the way, remain consistent throughout 2013, including Lauren shaking her head and just staring at me with disapproval. Hey, at least I don't laugh uncontrollably anymore. I feel like that's <laughs> Listen overall... to some early episodes. Yeah. Yeah, no, once she got over the, the laughter thing, now I just get the judging. So... That's fine. That's my friend Matt refers to that as my uh, laugh number 21, nervous <laughs> laugh number 21. Apparently, I have a lot of them. Wow. Um, well, it's good to be versatile. <laughs> so moving on to March 2013, um, what, just really quickly, T-Mobile did something pretty uh, pretty unheard of in the ma- four major carriers of cell phone service in, in the United States. In the United States, right. Europe is going to go like, this is such old news. Yeah, but, um, but in the U.S., it was it was... Pretty, uh, it's like a maverick move. Yeah, they, they introduced no contract service plans. Yep, which, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that you would be better off with that versus a contract one. It would be a case by case basis, but it did mean that it suddenly, you know, U.S. customers had more options. So it remains to be seen how this is going to affect the rest of the industry over the next few years, but I'm, very curious to see if this move ends up being something that's transformative or if it's just a little blip in the radar. It's too early to say right now. And in other relatively small news that made perhaps a bigger splash in our personal lives, uh, Google announced in March that it was going to shut down Google Reader. Yeah, this is what caused me to say, no! That's, that is literally what he did, like in the middle of the office, I'm pretty sure. It was that pretty day. bad, yeah. Um, that's, that, that was their RSS service. Yeah, that was, if you wanted some sort of RSS reader, this was one of the ones that could work pretty well. You could divide it up into different categories and stuff. And there were plenty of other options out there. Oh yeah, and, and Google suggested many other good ones yeah, as yeah, replacements. Exactly. They weren't, they were like, we understand that some of you are very passionate about this, but the problem is that even with all of your passion, you're still very few. You're in a very number. vocal minority. Yeah. So it, it was one of those things where as a company, I totally understand why they were doing this. They were saying, you know, we've got a lot of projects. We have to devote some attention to all of them. And it makes more sense for us to go ahead and shut down things that are not terribly successful so that we can devote that kind of time and attention to something else. 
Which really, in the long run, became sort of okay because March was also the month that Google announced uh, their their beta of Google Glass. Yep, Project Glass. You know, it seems so weird. Like I imagine that because I have a pair of these. Um, technically, the office has a pair of these. They're just they, in my possession. They right kind now. of reside with Jonathan most yeah, of the time. Uh, I, I I turn into Gollum with the ring. I'm like precious. No, he does. Uh, yeah, very. I've, I've let a couple of people wear them, but I get real antsy. Um, but anyway, Project Glass was the. Uh, it's, you probably see them. They're the glasses that have the little bitty uh, cube on them, where you can uh, use that as a screen and take pictures with them, take video, do some apps, uh, do navigation, some. Web search mm-hmm. connects via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. Uh-huh. A little bit of a vocal command in there so that you yep. can say, okay, Glass, take, take a, a video. Picture. Yeah, or take yeah. a video. Mm-hmm. Record a video. Record a video, take a picture. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. I had a lot of fun with that at Dragon Con. I went to Dragon yes. Con and, and people would be like, <gasps> you took my picture with the future. And I'm like, yes, I did. So I think we, I think Jonathan got more people coming up to him to ask if they could take a picture of him taking a picture of something with his Google Glass. Yeah, yeah. I was not the celebrity in that room. Google Glass was the celebrity. Right. Um, anyway, yeah, it's it's a program that has recently opened up a little bit more. They've right. allowed some of the pioneers of the Google Beta program to in, in, uh, invite a couple of other people to join. So I think it's. It's either two or three. I haven't received the email myself yet, mm-hmm. but it's two or three people that you can uh, then extend an invitation to, and then they have the option to join, although that option comes with a pretty hefty price tag. Uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, $1,500 for a headset. Yep. Pretty expensive stuff. So, and, and it is still a prototype version. Yeah. This is absolutely not a consumer not level. Yet. No, I, I understand that it's an updated version of the headset, but it's still it's still kind of a beta headset. It's right. not not meant to be the kind that you would get. Assuming this ever becomes an actual consumer product, the ones that you'll see in stores will probably look a little different. Um, and then uh, there's a, a Kickstarter story we have to cover. Uh, it's well, we don't have to, but I thought it'd be interesting. So, you know, Kickstarter is mostly meant for for or we tend to think of Kickstarter as being meant for people who for small independent projects. Yeah, some artists who want to get something a project off the ground, or maybe a, a would be entrepreneur who needs a little starting capital but has a really strong idea. But um, in this case. It was creators of a cult television show that had a passionate but relatively small following, that show being Veronica Mars. They decided to hold a Kickstarter campaign with the goal of raising $2 million so that they could produce a Veronica Mars movie that would be set uh, approximately the same number of years after the, the series had ended as actual time had passed. Uh, and it met that initial goal in 11 hours. Yeah, and then uh, eventually raised 5.7 million. So they they went above what they their original projection was. By the way, a two million dollar budget for a movie is incredibly small. I'm wondering, and I wondered then, and I still wonder now, if the Kickstarter campaign was less about raising money and more about demonstrating that there is an audience for that particular film. I, I would strongly suspect that they're going to get investment from other sources. Yeah, I can't imagine that they're able to even complete a, a full 30 minutes on $2 million. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that they could if they really wanted to. Um, <laughs> but uh, be like the Veronica Mars sock puppet show. It would be, it would be the light version. <laughs> yeah. Um, also in March of this year, um, Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg published her book Lean In, which was 
kind of a, a follow-up piece to a TED talk that she had done back in 2010, I mm-hmm. believe. Um, and, and this is, this is more of a women in industry sort of thing than a tech news thing in particular. But, you know, Sandberg is, is the leader of one of tech's biggest companies. And so therefore the publication of a book about what it's like to be a, a woman in tech and, and a woman in big business is, mm-hmm. is, a, is a pretty big thing. And it's, a, and it's a big issue. Um, you know, especially when you consider the kind of dismal percentages of women in tech and, and women in leadership. Uh, I did, I did a guest episode over on stuff Mom Never Told You's, uh, STEM series on November 6th, if you want to go check that out. But, um, but yeah, it, it, like only like a quarter of professional computing occupations in the U.S. are held by women. And, um, only 20% of, uh, of chief information officer positions at the, at the Fortune 250 companies are held by women. And so, yeah. you know, these are, these, these are big things and, and the trends are not seeming to get better right now. So I, so I think it's really cool that she published this and then it became a huge news item. Right. Because that could potentially inspire other women to go into a field that, that traditionally they might feel like there's some social or cultural pressures to keep them out when, in reality, we benefit from being able to take advantage of talent, no matter where that talent might fall. Across the field, of course, yeah. yeah. And, and and at the very least, encourage more discussion about the issue and, and why this is. Yes, so. exactly. Yeah, Raising awareness is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Moving on to April, we only have one item for April because it's a foolish month. We don't like to spend a lot of time there. But uh, but it, but it was a Google thing. Yeah. Um, Google and announced. And a pretty cool Google yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, it made me wish that it was a different town with an that starts with A that they had talked about. Google is moving uh, Google Fiber into Austin, Texas. And yeah. in fact, you know, they're already doing that now. But mm-hmm. that, this was back when they announced that that was going to be the next city they were targeting. Oh, right. Uh, initially, it had only been in Kansas City. Yeah. Both Kansas cities, but yes, because <laughs> well, yes. there are two of them uh, separated <laughs> by a river. But yes, yes, Kansas City was the initial uh, proving grounds of Google Fiber and Austin, Texas, out of all the different places in the United States, was the next one. So keep Austin weird at incredibly high download rates. Uh, <laughs> so for all my friends in Austin, I hope you enjoy your one gigabit per second download speed. Tell us how Jerks. that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I will continue to make smoke signals at the top of my house in hopes of connecting to Gmail. Moving on to May. So, uh, oh boy, you remember doing this podcast? Uh, yeah. Okay. So this company called Defense Distributed, I mean, and, and, and really mostly this guy named Cody Wilson, who was the founder of Defense Distributed, figured out, I, he, he designed a 3D printed gun that yep. only used one, um, like basically a hardware store nail right. to and, pin everything together. Yeah, and everything else was something that you could print, assuming you had the, the, uh, an appropriately sophisticated 3D printer. And, and the appropriate plastics to use yeah, with it. Yeah, because if you were to use weaker plastics, you could have a catastrophic failure of your, of your weapon, which could cause injury or death. Uh, right. We, we did a whole episode about that on May 22nd. And, um, and I was, I mean, I remember being fond of it. I haven't listened to it in a minute, but, yeah. but there was a lot of really interesting information and press about all of this. And it was a firing pin, not like some kind of like linchpin of the gun, by right, the way. Right, right. I, I misspoke a moment ago. 
show. But it was funny because I remember in that episode, we certainly didn't give uh, Cody Wilson much quarter. And uh, I haven't felt a lot differently since then. Uh, I understand uh, at least what his expressed motivations were. And I mean, I, I, I get it. And it's not like it's not like it's a world we live in now where we can somehow take that away. It was going to happen sooner or later. And I think that it was an interesting political statement. Um, I, I kind of do appreciate the... Um anarchist sort of bent of it, of, of just going like, no, really, you need to be paying attention to this technology because this is, in fact, what it can do. Check it, yeah. peeps. Yeah. Um, well, I just wish he had been a little less cavalier about the whole thing because that, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, ah, get off my lawn. Don't shoot me. Um, but yeah, since then... We've seen some other uh, developments. For example, there's a, a company called Solid Concepts that printed a 3D gun in metal, not in plastic, showing that they you could actually do this with, again, a, a, a sophisticated 3D printer. Obviously, the metal ones are not ones that you're going to find in the consumer market. These are industrial. Right, right. And, and, I mean, even the plastic ones that you would need for something like this run like $10,000. Yeah, minimum, you're talking so. pretty expensive. You mm-hmm. could probably buy a lot more guns <laughs> than huh. are traditionally Yeah, or, or even rent one for, for more cheaply than that. Yeah. But, um, and then Philadelphia is the first city in the United States that has passed legislation banning the printing of guns within that city, although how they would ever expect to... Actually, regulate that one. Yeah, how I don't know if it's an enforceable law. Maybe but, they can work together with the NSA and creep on people a lot. <laughs> right, the NSA knows everything you're printing, so you know it could just be a little tag team. They just can't. <laughs> they just can't let it be known that they found out from the NSA because the NSA is supposed to be for foreign. Each well, we'll talk more about the NSA later. <laughs> uh, so May was also the month when the other big console company announced uh, their entry into the war for the next generation of consoles. Right. Microsoft finally unveiled their Xbox One. Yep. So they first they they put to bed the whole idea of it being called X- Xbox 720, which is right. good which because... had been of one us, of their initial ideas. Yeah. Those of us who have trouble with math would rapidly <laughs> have problems in a couple of generations. Uh, I'm referring to myself with that, by the way. So Microsoft unveils the Xbox One. And uh, mostly at that first event, when they first unveiled it, they weren't really looking at the games so much. Yeah, unlike PlayStation's uh, idea for their launch, they they were really talking about all of the other media center factors that that they were planning. Right, yeah. Things like uh, being able to control your cable box and and have some interactivity with things like sports. Sports played a big role in that initial announcement, including things uh, like getting uh, stats on players in real time, that kind of stuff. And also they talked a lot about the the kind of peripheral abilities of the console, specifically the new version of Kinect with all the voice and gesture controls. But not so much on games. It wouldn't be until E3 before Xbox really started talking about the games that would be coming out for that system. And unfortunately, also at E3, they made a few announcements that were very unpopular amongst the gaming public. Yeah, the big one being that the Xbox One was going to require a persistent connection to the Internet or else it would not work. And people Like that it needed to phone home like once a day or something day, like yeah. that in order to, you know, uh, confirm that you were still using entirely up and up software and that yeah. you hadn't stolen anything. Right. That that all the copies of everything you were running and actually belonged to you weren't being used by someone else, that kind of thing. And people objected to it. They said, well, you know, not everyone has a persistent internet connection and they want to buy your product, but they can't use it. And eventually Microsoft ended up backing down on a lot of those initial stances. 
And um, they also said that as a result of making those concessions, some of the features they had planned for the Xbox would no longer work because they they required that first element that they had backed off on. And that got people upset, too. And I'm like, well, you can't win, guys. You got to you have to be like, well, either I'm OK with all of it or I'm OK that a lot of it goes away if they take away the one thing that I really hate. You know? I, I think that they probably could have found workarounds for some of those and that some some of those workarounds might still be coming in the next several months. But these um, are yeah, these are things that they may find a way of implementing in, in other ways uh, further down the line. I mean, just like the PS4, the Xbox One doesn't have the full functionality they talked about in those early months. Not. Yeah, so. um, although it did sell uh, the same one million un- units in 24 hours that the PS4 did. Yeah, it's just they. I think they were in 11 countries and not just two. So I mean, a bunch they, more. So so it's it's and yeah, and they're being a little bit more squirrely about their numbers, like I think I said earlier. Yeah, they did but. at one point say like in in uh, 18 days we sold something like more than 2 million units or or essentially they were saying that the sales were exceeding their expectations and so they weren't being so uh upfront with exactly what their expectations were right but yeah uh they're selling quite well probably from what i can tell mostly this is anecdotal probably not as well as the ps4 at least initially but you know these things are going to this is a long tail type of game and it's oh, yeah. going to we're going to have to see within and especially, a couple of years yeah since since a lot of the games that they're talking about being really hot are not going to be out until mid 2014 at the earliest right right i like the games that are the launch titles for both of these consoles are I, i've mentioned this before they're not games that particularly strike me as you know must have they're not grabbers yeah. yeah so they're none of them none of them are the killer app so i'm still waiting yeah um moving on uh yahoo bought tumblr for 1.1 billion dollars which is so much money i mean i mean not that tumblr isn't worth it I think it's a very up and coming um, social, uh, social media, media platform. platform yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and everyone on Tumblr was really, really, really worried about this because the image of Tumblr is young and hip and silly and and full of irreverence, and... full of irreverence. Yeah. And, and the image of Yahoo is basically the polar opposite of all of that. Yes. The company that has the name Yahoo with an exclamation mark at the end of it is just a bunch of old fuddy duddies. What? <laughs> it's I, not international business machine, people. Come on. Uh, not, nonetheless, there was some concern, especially considering the way that Yahoo has in the past handled a lot of its large, large design decisions and right, uh, right. commenting decisions. And I mean, I think Yahoo was the original site on which I decided that I can't read comments on the Internet anymore. I can understand that. Yeah. And and. To be fair, the Yahoo executives have all said that they have no plans of screwing up Tumblr. Of doing so, anything different that's so, going to mess it up, yeah. As long as it's just a, a change in ownership but not a change in administration, then things should go pretty well. But we're going to wrap up this first episode about a look back on 2013 with possibly the biggest story of 2013. We wish we could save this for the end of the last episode, but it happened in the middle of the year, so we've got to talk about it. It's, it's the only one that I referred to in my notes entirely in caps lock about. Yeah. Okay. So what we're clearly talking about is when uh, Steve Wilhite actually uh, explained how his invention, the graphics interchange format, how you were supposed to pronounce, pronounce the acronym. Right. Uh, and it's GIF, which is wrong and I won't do it. No, it's right. That is so right. That's the only clear way to say it. GIF. GIF, GIF is no. it. It's GIF. Because if you put a T at the end, it'd be GIFT. It wouldn't be GIFT. 
GIF is a peanut butter. GIF is a GIF, graphic. GIF sounds ridiculous. GIF, GIF sounds graphic. Like... GIF graphic. It makes sense. GIF graphic? No, you don't have giraffics. I have giraffics. Do you have a park for them? Yes. Welcome to Giraffic Park. Oh, no. All right. So anyway, that wraps up this first episode of our look back on 2013. Tune in next time when we find out what happened at the end of the year. So we're going to wrap this up. If you guys have any suggestions for future topics of tech stuff, if you have a specific technology you want us to talk about, a company. Or if uh, any of these things that we have not gone in depth about you'd like to hear more on. Yeah, maybe you're like, hey, I really want to have a full 45-minute discussion about GIF versus GIF. Let us know if you are that person. <laughs> Write us an email. Our, our address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on Tumblr, Twitter, or Facebook. You can find us with the handle techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 